Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, a podcast that explores life when it feels like the end times. I say when it feels like the end times, and I'm going to get into this more throughout various episodes of the podcast, because, of course, the world is always ending, it's always changing, the status quo always shakes and changes, collapses, rebuilds, all of these things. So sometimes people roll their eyes when you talk about the world ending. And sometimes that makes sense. The world has ended in a lot of different ways, but it sure feels like the world is ending right now to me and to maybe to you. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. Obviously what it means for the world to end is a subjective thing, but it's a, it's a stress factor to say the least on a lot of people's lives right now, thinking about climate change and thinking about the the rise of global fascism. So this is a podcast that's going to explore, well, how we can live while we feel like the world is dying. For myself and for this podcast, I found that I focus on four different priorities. I focus on living like the world is going to end and that I might not survive. Living like the world is going to end and I can try to survive living like we can prevent the end of the world, and of course, living like maybe the world isn't ending after all. So basically, hedonism, prepping, revolution, and not burning all your bridges, because who knows, the status quo might linger on after all. With this podcast, I'm probably going to focus on the middle two of these priorities. I'm going to focus on prepping and revolution. And I'm going to do that um, because, well, I've always sort of wanted there to be more information and more more going on about anarchist and leftist prepping because most of the prepping world is of course steeped in not just like right-wing politics but also right-wing values and individualistic values and of course as an anarchist i believe in the the balance between the individual and the community and because of that i don't believe in individualistic survival i don't believe that the the bunker mentality, which we're going to talk a lot of shit on in this podcast over the next couple episodes, is appropriate to most to most threat models. So I'll be your host, but for the most part, I'm going to interview people who know a lot more about a lot of this stuff than me. As for me, I am a prepper, I suppose, on some level. I keep uh, a small stockpile of food, dried food in five-gallon buckets, in case there's an interruption in, well, food supplies. Um, I make sure I know where water filtration is. I also uh, keep a to-go bag and at my house, and I keep another one in my car that's much smaller. Neither of these are particularly elaborate. They're, they're fairly simple things I put together. Um, and that's, that's more for my own mental welfare than it is like any immediate expectation of crisis. And I also, I live off grid, um, which is not something that I'm going to specifically advocate that anyone else do. I actually live off grid because it just sort of meets my needs uh, here and now in terms of how I like to live. I live about half an hour away from a small city in a cabin I built to myself in the woods because I like doing that. I like living that way. I'm an anarchist, and that's going to certainly bleed over into the content of this show. I believe in a world without coercive hierarchies like the state or capitalism or white supremacy or heteronormativity or or any of the intersecting oppressions and hierarchies that rule the world that, that shouldn't. And so, of course, a lot of my 
I, I tell you this because I want you to know my biases because I want you to come to your own conclusions. I have a, a bias against state and federal aid. I tend to find it to be wildly inefficient. I'm far more interested in creating a society based on mutual aid. And so, and I, I find agency to be wildly important. I find it very important for us to encourage each other to have agency. And so I'm interested in disaster relief or crisis preparation or whatever that, that maximizes individual agency that maximizes community agency. And yeah, that's, what's interesting to me. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on more. This first episode, our guest is Kitty Stryker, who I can let introduce herself. Uh, thanks so much for listening. So uh, today our guest is Kitty Stryker. Well, actually, do you want to introduce yourself with uh, your name and pronouns and kind of any political or organizational affiliations you feel like shouting out? Sure. Um, I'm Kitty Stryker. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a, I am identify myself as a, a leftist doomsday prepper, um, <laughs> but I'm more of a like emergency prepper, um, street medic. I work with Struggle Circus, which is a bunch of leftists and um, other sort of radical political groups and a bunch of juggalos coming mm-hmm. together to um, help out at protests and like usually do medic related stuff, but also be kind of a meat wall around marginalized communities. Um, I identify as an anarchist and um, yeah, I guess I just found it really interesting that when I was looking for communities of leftists to talk to about prepping, there wasn't anything there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, I I think we ended up kind of finding each other through a similar I don't actually remember how we first ended up talking about it. Maybe you do, but we've been, uh, for anyone who's listening, Kitty and I have been talking vaguely about how we need to do something about this, uh, this lack of lack of information. Yeah. yeah. Um, because so much of the information that's out there about prepping is not really applicable. Well, to anyone realistically, but, um, yeah. certainly not necessarily applicable to, uh, people whose ideology isn't a uh, fuck you, I've got mine, you know? So. Right. And I think, and it can be actively hostile in forums and stuff like places that you want to go to ask for information and ask for advice, um, become really hostile when people are talking about how much they want to kill Antifa or like, <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait till the race war. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just not really a very comfortable place to ask questions about fortifications. <laughs> yeah, uh, that makes sense. Um, so why don't we start by kind of talking about the general conception of preparedness and, you know, kind of what is leftist or anarchist prepping or preparedness, as at least as you conceive it. Sure. Well, so for me, I grew up with parents who were sort of like, suburban homesteader types uh, with a mixture of prepping, but are also hoarders. So like while they have everything you would need in an apocalypse, you also wouldn't necessarily (laughs) be able to find it. So like I kind of grew up with the, the um, hoarding tendency that I think comes with a lot of prepping. Mm -hmm. You want to have lots of things that seem very important. 
Um, but also this desire to try to make it organized and make it easily accessible. Um, I realized fairly quickly that while I'm more of a, a stay in place kind of prepper um, and a sort of emergency preparedness person, I also will potentially need to be able to put what I need in a backpack and carry it with me at least for, you know, a mile or two, mm -hmm. depending on the emergency. And if I have so much stuff that I can't practically do that without a car, it's not really going to be that useful. I live in earthquake country. So like, I just have to anticipate the roads are going to be kind of a mess. Yeah. So that was that was sort of where I came from was this um, not very political camping um, and also very pagan getting in touch with the earth kind of thing. Like my parents have beehives. It drives all of their neighbors off the wall. They hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I've only a couple times been around this. Uh, yeah. Suburban homesteading idea where you have a access to a little bit of land, not necessarily so much privacy, not so much uh place no, where you can no keep your privacy. bees yeah everyone in my neighborhood is like that's the witch house you can tell <laughs> because there's 13 sacred trees in the front lawn and her dad goes outside and scythes the lawn wow um, i don't think he's actually even done that in years so i think it's just an overgrown tangle at this point well that's even more uh, fun. but we have like we have a pond in there there's like a little herb garden and veggie garden we have a crow feeder it's so, it's elaborate <laughs> i'm imagining this on like a quarter acre or a half acre is that yeah yeah, yeah. pretty much okay <laughs> with like manicured lawns right next to mm -hmm. us on either side <laughs> yeah well that, that's <laughs> a very, uh, that's where i was raised i think that explains a lot okay <laughs> It's an interesting metaphor for being the the one person who's, uh, you know, either I've prepping or being a hoarder. For a while, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that that that's in such staunch contrast to like doomsday preppers, which is what mm -hmm. most people think of when they think of prepping. They think of like, oh, that's those like rednecks in in like the middle of the really rural areas with their bunker and their nine million guns and their giant water containers. And they're, you know, being completely convinced that there's going to be a nuclear war or there's going to be, I don't know. Uh, what are some of the other disasters that are always prepared for? Well, I mean like definitely race wars is definitely one of the things. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's kind of the, I feel like that's the the tell between whether you're talking to a racist prepper or a well, obviously, if there's someone talking about a race war, they're clearly a racist. But um, you know, there's a tell of whether or not they're obsessed with like the the boogaloo, or if they're obsessed with right, you know, the possibility of invasion or um, I don't know, system collapse in general. Right, right, and like what system collapse looks like. Like, what are they actually afraid of? Mm -hmm. I think is very telling. Um, a lot of times you'll see people say like, oh, I'm afraid that people are going to come and murder my family for my resources because my resources are so awesome mm -hmm. that everyone for miles around is going to want to come and murder me. Yeah. <laughs> Which, first of all, if that was true, I would not be saying it on the Internet. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> like that just seems like a bad idea. That that's my boyfriend and I watch Doomsday Preppers and talk about how we would um raid mm-hmm. their bunkers because they show us everything. Yeah. And that just seems very uh short sighted <laughs> if that is indeed what you are worried about. Right, as compared to just kind of showing off and being excited about like kind I of nerding like, out about yeah, gear. It's it's like nerding out and they think it's more of a threat. Mm-hmm. Than it is. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think it, it speaks to a desire for conflict mm-hmm. that I don't personally have. I don't want to have to use my apartment complex to snipe people. Yeah. I just don't want to do that. <laughs> like I just want to be able to like grow a garden using a discarded um, you know, shoe organizer from, you know, the broken down Ross down the street. Mm-hmm. Like that's my type of prepping um, rather than preparing for endless violence. Yeah. There's kind of a, I feel like one of the main myths or or concepts that I'm trying to get across with this podcast, not a myth. I'm trying to get across this prove that something is a myth um, is the, the bunker mentality is the, you know, the I've got mine, fuck you mentality that yeah. is so common in prepping circles. And it's, it's really off putting because you know, I mean, even um, even from like a, a pure self-interest point of view, it just seems so dumb. Like, so you hole up with your five closest friends in the middle of the woods during the apocalypse. And that's like all fine and good until your appendix bursts and you forget that you're not a surgeon and that your brother isn't a surgeon, you know? And, well, you just need more useful friends. Well, sure. <laughs> that's but, what I did. But what if you're the surgeon, right? And then your <laughs> yeah, appendix bursts. Well, like, yeah, then... Yeah, then, then, well, then you just die. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is, I think that they they're they're so afraid of violence coming from other people that they don't a think of the violence that could happen amongst themselves, mm-hmm. which is kind of inevitable if you're locked in a bunker together. Yeah. Um, and there's especially if there's power dynamics in place and stress, then I feel like there's going to be some abusive dynamics that come out of that. So if you're not prepared for that. It doesn't really matter how good your resources are. Yeah. Um, so th- there's so that's just even within your unit, and then never mind if you're then expanding out to like, do you know how to do literally everything in the world? Because you're probably going to need help. Yeah. Yeah. The same the- with the idea about currency. Everyone's so keen on like, oh yeah, make sure that you have currency. Uh, make sure you have like silver buried in your yard. And I'm like, what are you going to do with that? Really? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's cool, I guess, but unless you're going to use it as a brick, I don't understand. Well, I guess it, it gets into, uh, in some ways, I think the apocalypse, people who think too much about the apocalypse, whether they're on the left or the right, uh, or just bored centrists, or moderates or whatever, I think that people are thinking about and imagining clean slates and imagining about how they would like to act and like what kind of societies they would like to create, what kind of dynamics they would like to create. So it's really easy for someone who say of a libertarian mindset to be like, well, of course, gold is what matters, you know, because we're all going to trade resources. There's definitely going to be market economics after the apocalypse because we're going to institute market economics. economics and then maybe like those of us who are like wow the market's a dumb thing and isn't really particularly interesting to me at all like 
yeah, I have a really hard time imagining that I'm going to be doing much like even bartering after the apocalypse. Like I'm, I'm either like rolling with people and sharing shit or I'm keeping shit to myself. But like, you know, I'm not going to be like, well, these three bullets are worth that tourniquet or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. At least well, that's I, my conception I, of it. That's when, when I like to imagine the end of the world, which is not actually something I like imagining anymore, but you know, I'm imagining something that, that is closer to the ideological interests that I have, which is maybe a, a fault of mine. Maybe that's a, a blind spot of mine. Well, I don't think that's, I don't think it's necessarily a fault. I mean, like one thing that I think when, you know, I have like a group of friends that we talk about this stuff a lot mm-hmm. amongst ourselves, um, especially because we're within bicycling distance from each other. So we're sort of like, okay, if there is an emergency, mm-hmm. we're pretty sure that we could get to each other. Um, but we all have diff- like slightly different ideas of what we would like to see happen, which means we also have different, like different ideals and different, um, areas of expertise. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that is actually super helpful. I don't know that I would want to be in a group that everybody thinks the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you think cooperatively versus competitively. And like, for me, that's, what's important. I don't really care how we get to cooperative instead of competitive but that's what i want yeah that makes sense um so i want to talk more about you know okay one of the things i really like about prepping in general is that it it can be very practical it's it's not it's obviously a lot of it's not practical at all but like but to to take this conversation practically for a minute like what do you do not necessarily in both in terms of like things that you keep around but also like, what are your plans? You talked about bicycling to meet up with your friends. You know, what is, um, what kind of preparedness do you personally practice? So, um, my boyfriend and I talk a lot about what our, uh, plans are like, but pretty much every three months or so. Mm-hmm. And we're mostly, and like, just to give some context, we're mostly prepping for an earthquake for a big earthquake, mm-hmm. because that's the most likely thing to happen here. I mean, I guess there's some possibilities that we'll end up having a bunch of neo-Nazis coming and terrorizing us, but I think they've gotten tired of Berkeley and have moved to Portland instead, so (laughs) we're probably fine for now. Um, So we talk a little bit about, like, what are the risks that are current? um, What are the resources that are currently around? um, Maybe... uh, We've been talking about uh, creating a map, like actually getting a map mm-hmm. and right, marking down important things that we might want to know where they are mm-hmm. when you don't have Google Maps, for example. Um, so, so like stuff like that is really important, like this the, as the sort of preparing uh, for immediate needs and also for like where you are going to be able to get resources, what area is around that could conceivably be turned into a garden, um, mm-hmm. if we be, uh, which we're actually lucky we have a park really close by. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also make a point to know our neighbors, um, both our housed and houseless neighbors. So like having good relationships with them is really helpful and like giving them ideas of how to be prepared so that we're not overwhelming ourselves trying to take care of them as well as ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're trying to match up um, younger 
folks, with older folks or able-bodied folks with uh, people with disabilities. So that way there's like, it's easier for people to mobilize and so that we know who in our area is going to need help. Okay. Um, so that's some of the, like the, the community planning stuff. That's not even focused on my group of hyper uh, focused friends, but like just making my environment less chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of, again, like a garden, it takes some pruning and some cultivating and a little bit of upkeep, but I feel reasonably confident that my neighbors are going to be able to handle themselves. Yeah. Um, which is my first big concern because then I can start worrying about things like what do I personally actually need? Um, one thing that is kind of difficult, I live in an apartment Mm -hmm. and we don't have a huge amount of space. So like I can't have buckets and buckets of freeze dried food. Um, we do tend to have a lot of canned food. We do tend to have a lot of like nuts and dried fruit and stuff like that around. So that helps a little bit. It makes it easier for us to like find stuff in rubble <laughs> that mm-hmm. we can eat. Um, we also have a, um, a dresser that we put our prepper stuff in. And it's sorted. Um, we have medic supplies in the first two drawers because that's my sort of specialty, mm-hmm. my area of focus. And then we have sort of more general supplies. So that's where we have like life straws and we have bandanas and we have masks for filtering out smoke or disease. Um, we have lots and lots of gloves. We have uh, <laughs> um uh, water filtering tablets. We have a bunch of different kinds of fire starters. So we sort of like put together a compendium of things that we felt would be useful. And then what's probably the least practical thing is like in my, in the main living room, mm-hmm. I have a hatchet. I have um, a walking stick. I have my camping stuff. Um, so it's not like all condensed in one place. Mm-hmm. But um, I have, but I do have a spare tent at my partner's house, and I have a medic bag, like a fully packed medic go bag that I take to protest mm-hmm. in the trunk of my car. So that way, I can, I have one medic bag in the house. I have one in the car, and I usually have one at my partner's house. Yeah. Sometimes I have one at my local bar too, but that's the one that usually gets used. <laughs> if I go to a protest, cause that's like near downtown, uh-huh. but like just having pockets of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a storage unit downtown um, as well. So I figure it might be more difficult to get into my storage unit, but at least it's underground mm-hmm. and that would be not a bad place to have some stuff that I don't need immediately, but might want down the line. Yeah. <laughs> so but, but it's sort of a um pack rack pack ratty squirrel type prepping mm-hmm. like burying little caches i'm impressed because you're yeah you're managing to successfully do in an urban environment what um well what i uh, something i associate more with the rural environments of uh you know one of the things i was it's realizing harder. It's harder, yeah. but it's only harder if you care about being the only person who can get to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't really care so much about that. I just want to have access to it. Mm-hmm. I'm because for me, like I'm someone who 
I saw a guy on a on a scooter get hit by a car. I was so glad I had that medikit on me. Yeah. So that I could actually help him out and immediately help him out. I'm so glad I had that expertise. So like and I actually that's one thing that I also have is a is a first aid book. Mm-hmm. Because again, like I don't know how to do everything. Um, but if I have a book, I could probably figure out how to do most things safely. So what's the book? Um, it's an old, uh, field manual, uh, medic guide. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what era, but I prefer to try to go for stuff that's like, um, military, uh, because, or, or like, su- like serious environmental, uh, uh, wilderness strategy guides because then they're not focused on you having access to a full hospital. Right. Um, it's not ideal conditions. Right. Uh, sometimes like first aid advice is like, Oh, we'll just call an ambulance. And it's like, well, that's not really practical uh, in the sort of situations I'm preparing for. So mm-hmm. I prefer to, to look at older stuff um, and then take, newer knowledge and pack that on top but like knowing how to do some of some of these things when you don't have electricity like a lot of modern medicine depends on electricity depends on you having access to different kinds of medications and and um solutions that you might not have Mm -hmm. so i think it's kind of um I, i i mean and i don't until I have to do it in practice, I don't know how useful it actually will be, but I'm interested in learning how people have prevented disease, you know, in wartime, in like um, a forest mm-hmm. um, in the middle of nowhere versus like, you know, what you would get trained necessarily if you're like getting a CPR training for your work. Mm-hmm. Have you taken like the like wilderness first responder course or anything like that? I want to so badly. Um, I'm hoping that I can save up for it or have somebody gift it to me. Yeah. But that is like on my list of, oh my God, I would, that would be so dreamy. Yeah. But <laughs> I really, I just also am obsessed with medical stuff. So <laughs> um, I guess that's, that's one thing I would really recommend for people who are curious about prepping. Um, I would say, well, it is nice to be able to have, information about a bunch of different areas find the thing you're really interested in and nerd out on that Mm -hmm. one of my friends is really really into um finding plants and like urban foraging so that's her area of expertise is like oh she can tell you every plant you can eat within two miles of your house Mm -hmm. and that would be really useful that's not necessarily something that my uh my brain can hold on to um, as easily as medicine stuff. Yeah. Um, my partner is really good with like weapons and, you know, building shelters. It's not really my area. So it's nice to have somebody who can teach me just enough, mm-hmm. but also like has a lot more expertise. Yeah. That's something that I, I, um, uh, I think about a lot in terms of even just the world that I want to live in. I'm really excited about the idea where we instead of having a generalism versus specialization kind of argument, it's another like bullshit false dichotomy. Like Mm -hmm. probably we should all as much as we can generalize as broadly as we can and then pick the things that stand out to us to specialize in. Like, you know, I, I don't need to know how to 
do surgery. Um, but I should probably know first, you know, literal first aid, like first response. Like, you know, there's been a, a number of times in my life where I've, I'm incredibly squeamish. I hate medical things. I hate thinking about it. The way that like, yeah. like someone showed me how to use a tourniquet and, you know, I disassociate in order to learn because the yeah. concept of thinking about like arterial bleeding, like doesn't work for me. Um, but I, I know that I need to know how to do that. So I learn pretty much by disassociating and then kind of when bad things happen, I like disassociate again and then deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is some practicality to that. When I was doing medic work at protests, mm-hmm. I really underestimated how traumatized I was yeah. until like months later when I was like, wow, I just didn't have feelings for a while. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot. And I'm, I love, let's see, I'm not squeamish at all about that stuff. But I'm impatient. So, like, mm-hmm. building structures is not my thing. <laughs> it's like, I could learn how to do it, but I don't even put up the tent when I go camping if I can avoid it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, that knowing that um, I have a good, solid group of people around me who are really excited to do that stuff allows us to, like, do the thing we're excited about. But also, in case something happens to that person... We know how to do it. We just don't like it. Yeah. Or at least have a, <laughs> can do a rougher version of it, you know, like can do yeah. a, I had a, uh, I was talking to a friend about all this. Um, I actually don't remember if it's, I've, I'm recording these interviews out of order from how they're going to play. So, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a medical professional and he was talking about how in a crisis situation, if you have like two people, maybe what you want is a nurse and a world-class generalist you know as like the 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 two people that you need (laughs) pretty much i mean i think like having a medic like i think everyone should have basic medical training yeah um just just basic shit because that way anybody can do an emergency like okay i can put gauze on this and hold and stop the bleeding yeah like that's what I need from people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every time I go to a protest, people are asking what they could do to help. And I'm like, just do that. Just do that only. And like help people with sprained ankles and keep them hydrated. Cause if you can do all of that, then I can focus on like stitching someone's head together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's what I need to be able to focus on. Cause I'm not the squeamish one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that that, that helps a lot. Also, coming up with things for you to do, <laughs> I think that gets that gets ignored a lot on um, prepper forums, at least the ones I've been on. They talk a lot about like, you know, okay, like you've got to have all of this like foraging skills and you've got to have, um, you know, shelter building and you've got to have all these supplies in order to to make all of this stuff. But there's no downtime options mm-hmm. and you're going to have downtime sometimes. Like uh, you're going to get sick eventually if nothing else. Yeah. So like, make sure you have stuff to keep your mind busy during those times. Cause like, you know, watching like alone, for example, I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but no. um, they put these people by themselves in the middle of the, was it Canadian wilderness? I think for mm. at least the first couple of seasons and they have to do everything from scratch. They have, they have some supplies on them. Um, and a good supply list, mm-hmm. but they have to pick like one of 10 items or 10 different items out of a list of like 
pre-approved 50 different things they can have. So they have to do a lot of stuff by themselves. And almost every single time the thing that gets to them is just a lack of food mm-hmm. and boredom. Yeah. And if they can keep themselves busy somehow, like making music or making art or building, like adding decorations to their shelter, then the fact that they're hungry doesn't bother them so much. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have anything like that, they're not creative in any way, then the fact that they're hungry literally gnaws away at their brain. Okay. So I just think that's a really interesting aspect, like thinking a lot about like mental health in an emergency scenario, because I I think that gets ignored um, with a lot of like right wing prepping uh, forums and and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what, I mean, you know, I feel like there's just the like deck of cards is like what's what's written out. Yeah. Always have a deck of cards, which is like, you can tell that they wrote that in the fifties or whatever, you know? Right. And that, and that, you know, part of it's going to be like, Oh, well like for gambling in order to like entertain (laughs) yourself is like gambling with the no money that you have. Yeah. It's just, I, I would much prefer to have, um, I don't know, code names or something like (laughs) endless replayability. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like there's a, let's be honest. I'd be playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, (laughs) yeah. In my in my tracker tent as an actual ranger playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you wouldn't play uh what's the what's the opposite of it? The dragons play, they play um humans in houses. Oh yeah, maybe that too. Um, I don't know. Maybe I mix it up, mix them together. You'd have role playing about like what you would do if apartments still existed or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mean that- I guess I don't I'm not that scared of that. Yeah. You know? Like it would be uncomfortable and I'd probably hate it yeah. a lot. I'm a house cat, but uh, you know, I, I'm not that worried about it either. And I think part of it is because I've just made being prepared, knowing where my, my go bag is at all times, just part of my day to day existence. Mm-hmm. So it's just muscle memory at this point. Yeah. Um, Earlier in our, our pre-conversation, uh, when we were talking about what we might talk about, one of the things that you kind of brought up is the the ableism that exists in a lot of prepping conversations. And I was wondering if you wanted to, to talk more about that. Yeah. So I noticed that a lot of discussions on what your go plan is involves being able to walk long distances. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably because they figure that walking a long enough distance would get you to an area of wilderness. Mm-hmm. that they feel would be more suitable. Um, I That is really impractical for a large number of people. People with small children are going to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, elderly people are going to struggle with that. People with disabilities are going to struggle with that. Um, people, some people with disabilities aren't going to be able to do that. It mm-hmm. won't even be just a struggle. It's just impossible. So, like, I think that we need more diverse resources and we need to talk very seriously about how to make this accessible um, for people who aren't, you know, in their like super hyper fit in their thirties mm-hmm. <laughs> ready to charge over a mountain. 
um, and I mean, in the Bay Area, like you could you could walk for eight hours, and I don't know that you would find a bit of wilderness. <laughs> so, like, I I don't think that's necessarily the most practical option well, for all people. It's funny to me the all the stuff about like going to the wilderness because I I live in not the wilderness, you know, but I, I live very rurally. I live um, in a house that I built at the end of a, like beyond the end of a gravel road, like every stupid stick of my fucking cabin, I had to carry up a hill on my back. Like, you know, um, I actually started building it with a chronic injury and then managed to physical therapy my way. This isn't a conver- statement about ableism, just the weird, stupid shit of building this fucking cabin I live in. But, <laughs> This, but it looks really cool. Thanks. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really proud of it. And it's funny because like actually it's a brilliant place to live during civilization. Um but if there were some kind of crisis, I would probably get my to-go bag or my car presumably, but let's pretend like that's not an option for whatever reason and I would walk to the city. Uh Yeah. Because the city is where people are and that is where we can keep each other safe. Like, I think people have this conception of that people are the danger and that's true. People are dangerous, right? But the wilderness is really fucking dangerous too. And people really underestimate how dangerous the wilderness is. They underestimate how cold it is. The cold will kill you. The wet will kill you. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and so getting to, I, I don't know for certain, it would really depend on the threat, you know, um, but I would, I would presumably go to a place of higher population so that we collectively can figure out what the fuck to do. Uh, and maybe the fact that I have access to certain resources by living on land can become useful to people. Um, and that yeah. would be my hope. You know, um, I could easily imagine a situation where you would have, like, as part of, like, your prepping, you would have, you know, the rural... With rural living, you have access to space. You don't necessarily have access to anything else, but you often have access to space. And so you can store tractors and you can store, you know, strange device, like devices that have very odd and specialized purposes for building or something like that. Yeah. Um, But then again, the thing I'm slowly learning is that cities have all of those things too. It's just that not necessarily like each individual is going to own them, you know, like because not everyone lives on a farm. The city owns it or the government owns it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty of parking lots. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, well, God, I'm trying to remember what the name of this show was. So I, I, I watch a lot of prepping and wilderness, mm-hmm. like survival based shows. Um, some, somewhat to remind myself that nature is dangerous. And also because I find them very amusing. And there mm-hmm. was one that was, I, it wasn't entirely clear if it was a reality show or if it was scripted or both. Pretty sure it was both, but they were in LA. Mm-hmm. And I forget what they had decided. The LA one, I don't think it was a disease. They had a different like calamity happen each season. And um, in the first season, they had a good variety of people. They had several mechanics, they had um, a couple of like nurses and doctors. They had um, martial arts teachers. So they had like a mm-hmm. good cross section of people. 
And they did decently well, like surviving in a big warehouse in L.A., and came up with some incredibly inventive weapons and things. I remember mm-hmm. they created a flamethrower out of bits of an old car, which was stunning <laughs> to watch. But then the second season, they were in um, New Orleans um, in yeah. some of the areas that had been devastated by Katrina. And um, they had underestimated how swampy it was yeah. and how hard it was going to be to get food and how like there were tons of snakes and um alligators that were going to kill you yeah and also that one had like a disease element so like every once in a while someone would get claimed by this contagious disease and they would just start disappearing yeah but the thing that really got to them i think is that they didn't have a very diverse group of people they had a lot of like school teachers and like artists and Mm -hmm. that's great that's important stuff but if they don't have any um, trade skills as well, mm-hmm. they're going to drop like flies. Yeah. So, like, it's really important to, like, take your creative energies um, and learn how to do something that can embrace that, but also has a, a living purpose. Yeah. Yeah, as a generalist, I think about that, you know, where I, like, most of my skills are graphic design and... Uh, audio which is great when you want to start a podcast if you've been doing electronic (laughs) music for 20 years or whatever you know Um, yeah but i i think i've really consciously been working on developing my skills that are not only on a computer you know uh for kind of this purpose electronic music and audio says to me making ham radios yeah practical and useful (laughs) like there's always something there yeah um i think it's just like finding what those things are yeah um though i will say this the the first season in the warehouse in la Mm -hmm. they had a big issue with masculinity Um, I only watched the second was, season. I watched the one oh, where they all. The and first it, one is great. Uh-huh. Like there's all these male mechanics shouting at each other about how to fix something better, God. and this female mechanic just goes and does it. Yeah, that sounds like. And then they a all brag metaphor. about how like how proud they are that they came up with this idea. And mm-hmm. She just rolls her eyes, and you're just like, "Yep, that's how it would be." Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I mean, like that said to me a lot about like mediation knowing how to mediate knowing your own triggers like Mm -hmm. knowing your own mental health stuff Mm -hmm. so that you can then navigate other people's mental health stuff that's also super important and easy for anybody to do yeah yeah i think knowing different organization models like i think knowledge and facilitation is a a really important skill um yeah I i think people like basically pick whichever organizational model seems to be practical when the like existing larger structure goes away and i've been in spaces where we haven't been sure how we're going to organize ourselves and i'm surrounded by a bunch of non-anarchists and then i'm like well here's this model where we're all equals but we still actually figure things out and it just works as compared to i'm pretty sure if someone had been like here's the model i'm pretty much in charge and maybe it'll be like some veneer of democracy where He'll be like, and I'm just going to use he for this imaginary patriarch, you know, he'll be I like, I'm in charge and uh, we can have a little vote about that if we want to prove that I'm in charge, you know, and everyone will be like, well, right, right. <laughs> he's, he's the one who's offering to get shit done. And what, you know, of course, what people fail to realize is that's like, we get shit done collectively, 
whether it's collectively yeah. we do it and someone is taking the credit by being at t- up top, you know, or yeah. whether we do it. Um, so that's one of the things that I think about with prepping is, is just um, how to, and I think that's maybe one of the things the right wing preppers are afraid of is they're like, they don't have, you know, the only people skills that they know is this hierarchical system. Yeah. Um, well, I guess there's plenty of leftists who also only seem to know hierarchical <laughs> yeah. systems but i mean it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty common system yeah um i that's why that's why i kind of enjoy the like everybody gets to be an expert in their own thing mm-hmm. so that nobody is is super nobody can be too pleased with themselves yeah it keeps everybody humble i think yeah uh, so the the one other main question that i or like thing i kind of want to hash out with you for the this which is probably going to be the first episode everyone who's listening will know whether or not it's the first episode it'll be very embarrassing if this is the 17th episode but um <laughs> uh maybe like talk about different threat models you know um it it that's uh, how we determine what we need of course is dependent on what we think is likely to happen and as there's no one size fits all and so you say that the primary um threat model that you're working with is a uh, natural disaster um yeah and do you want to talk about that or do you want to talk about some other threat models? Sure. Or? Well, I mean, I think like, okay, a great example is the things that I w- want for a earthquake is not necessarily what I would want in a tsunami, mm-hmm. right? Those are very different natural disasters. Um, as somebody who grew up in, in hurricane country ish, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was just really, really wet. And having a, a dust mask would not have helped me in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be at much more risk of having trench foot. So that would be like waterproof boots would be way more important. So some of it's knowing your environment mm-hmm. um, and being aware of like what your environmental concerns are, like living in a city. Asbestos is a big environmental concern. Mm-hmm. So like having dust masks is really important. I feel like I read once that... Um, most deaths aren't in, in an earthquake come from inhaling debris. Okay. Um, and that, that causes some of the worst injuries because there's just all of this dust everywhere. And, um, you know, I, I know that was definitely true with the fires. Like a lot of people have still have some, some still have breathing problems now from the various fires that were going on in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, knowing what you need to be concerned about, like, with earthquakes, um, you know, knowing that the roads might not be super useful to drive on. So, having alternative plans for that, knowing where your bike paths are, knowing, um, you know, if you have a wheelchair, for example, maybe thinking of a way to add some tread onto your wheelchair, Mm-hmm. Um, might be a practical option. Like I have a beach cruiser. It's not a racing bike by any means, but it's heavy and it's easy to find the parts. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really easy to fix myself. That's why I chose that. So like thinking about what you can actually do, I think um, is helpful in figuring out your your strategy. Like I know that, I don't know enough about my car to be able to completely dismantle it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do know somebody who does know enough about my car to do that. So I can bike to him 
and then have him do that. <laughs> right. So like coming up with those kinds of like, oh, okay, if this, then this, if this, then this um, strategies helps me, at least I have a very ADHD brain. It helps mm-hmm. me have a, um, a process to go through. Um, now in, in California, we earthquakes are a big concern, especially in this area, but fire is also a big concern. Mm-hmm. And the way I would prepare for a fire versus an earthquake, I would be more concerned about my paperwork um, disappearing mm-hmm. in a fire than an earthquake. Um, th- though, to be completely honest, I'm not that fussed about my paperwork in general. Um, <laughs> I don't think getting rid of paperwork is the worst plan. Well, <laughs> um, that's not what the government wants to hear from me. Um, so like I have, I have some paperwork in a folder that's easy to access if I need to like grab something and go because my apartment is burning. But, um, I wouldn't be as, I wouldn't care as much about that if it was an earthquake, because in my consideration, there would be enough of a drastic interruption in services mm-hmm. for an earthquake that I don't think that that would be an immediate need. Yeah. And you wouldn't um, certainly be the only one who has lost their paperwork. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And again, like, I think that we use paperwork as a penalty for so many people that uh, maybe mucking up that system a little bit is just <laughs> a convenient little thing I can do on the side. Uh, um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess, and like all of that is completely separate from like thinking of having invaders come and try to take my apartment away from me or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I usually strategize for that by thinking about what my plan are if the cops get even more out of control. Right. <laughs> like fascist takeover is on my on my threat model list, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like you know, I've the, the cops have been pretty shitty around here for quite a while, mm-hmm. so you know, it's been a slowly increasing plan. But I mean, like for me, I'm not interested in trying to shoot my way through the cops. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with people who that is their plan. I think it's great that there are people who are inclined that way, but I'm going to go full like rogue. I, I'm sneaky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go to the sewers. Like, um, I, I, I'm not as, I'm not as interested in that kind of direct conflict. So like mm-hmm. my model for that, or like my, Managements for that would be really, really different from uh, natural disasters. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that's like all of the things that I think might actually happen. Like, I mean, I guess a meteor could hit, but eh. And the prepping I do (laughs) for every other disaster would be fine for that, probably, or I'd be dead. Yeah. And wouldn't care. (laughs) Like, so. How about you? What what are your what's your threat model? Oh, you know, so I so I I live on a floodplain. It's not supposed to be a floodplain, but global warming has made it a floodplain. Yeah, and uh, and the mountains. You know, when I first moved to the mountains, I grew up in the foothills, and when I moved into the mountains, it 
it kind of blew my mind that flooding is a problem because in my mind I'm like, well, everything is high up and actually flooding is at least as much of a problem in, well, this flooding's a problem in a lot of different places. You know, hurricanes cause floods, but flash floods in yeah. mountains are very real, especially in an era of mountaintop removal mining, mm-hmm. um, which is not an immediate thing immediately around me, but it certainly affects places within a couple hours of where I live in Appalachia. Um, yeah. But, you know... Um, storms like the weather patterns are just changing dramatically and by living rurally i'm not as uh defended against that in some ways because there's not a large crew of people working to try and figure out how to make sure that the little place that i live is is safe and so we have to do it um to whatever you know when because you're not supposed to mess with waterways we have to do it through the state and all of that But in the meantime, our land floods. And uh, so, you know, it flooded uh, a couple days ago and I I had to go out and try and um, prevent it from getting worse through whatever means. And, you know, and I actually had this moment, you're you're talking about paperwork. I I started walking into this flood uh, with my my wallet in my pocket (laughs) Um, and then eventually realized that that was a, a bad idea. Uh, that right. my wallet does not need to be in my pocket. I'm not going to get like, you know, asked for my papers or need to purchase anything while right. I'm walking into this flood. And, uh, and so it's, it's a, so natural disaster is like the top, like climate change affecting everything is, is my top yeah. threat model uh, where I yeah. live. Um, but fascist takeover is on there. And fascist takeover, you know, um, is a really different set of problems. Um, yeah. A lot yeah. of it and, still and comes down to knowing of, your neighbors. It's a different set of uh, prepping as yeah. well. I mean, it's a totally different set of skills. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, it was like the thing that I was really, I, I realized, you know, I, a lot of my, I've spent a lot of my life living outdoors, um, you know, I was a, a traveling anarchist living out of a backpack and I was a forest defender and I was a squatter and I lived in a van and, you know, now mm-hmm. I live in a cabin. Um, you know, almost half my life I've lived out like off grid, essentially. Um, and I was thinking about how when in February I'm waist and sometimes chest deep in water, I was thinking about how glad I am that I like just kind of by default prefer like certain types of practical clothes. I mean, it's funny because I most of the time I built my house wearing a dress, but like, you know, when I'm like, okay, it's raining, I put on my like, you know, puffy vest and my, my waders, my muck boots, you know, and wool socks. And I wasn't nearly as concerned about hypothermia, which is a major problem in floods, especially in February. Um, just because I wasn't wearing much cotton and like knowing, and it's funny because I never think about my outdoors skills, like how to start a fire with Tinder and, uh, you know, Flint and steel and all that. Like, that's not, I don't really see a version of the world where I'm like living in the woods alone and hunting squirrels and whatever the fuck, you know, but, yeah. but there are going to be moments where I might be like needing to not get hypothermia while I'm like, trying to clear up a dam that's forming or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like two pairs of wool socks should be on everyone's like list. Yeah. Or go bag for sure. Yeah. I and, keep a like, second. The more vest. wool clothing you have, the better. Yeah. 
but but it's funny is that I was thinking that through when you're talking about fires. And I was thinking about California. I was like, well, actually, the the same clothes that are really good in um, flood and maybe a tsunami are not good in fire. You don't want to wear synthetic in a fire situation, you know. Yeah. Um. So, but overall, yeah, but you actually do want to wear cotton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I remember, I used to I used to blacksmith with my dad. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, "Oh my! Like, what are you wearing? Like, that's really impractical for this." I'm like, "Oh, it's fine. It's it's cotton. It'll just roll right off. Yeah, you can't catch fire in cotton." <laughs> he was like, "That's not really true, but <laughs> but it's more true, I guess." It's better than polyester. I mean, you know. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, it's not going to melt into your skin. I have melted through so many skirts with <laughs> rat butts for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm sort of learning at this point that that's a that's a concern. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like that that's definitely an area of my prepping that I need to be better about is like just having practical clothes. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have that much in the way of practical clothes that can fold up really small yeah. and actually keep me warm or keep me cool. Yeah, but sometimes people over overestimate the importance of this. I've definitely gone hiking in like maxi skirts like all the time, and every yeah, time I go hiking true. with someone new in a maxi skirt, they're like, "Margaret, do you want to wear that?" And I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me? I've been hiking in these skirts for the past fifteen years. I know what the fuck I'm doing." Yeah, they yeah. might get caught and rip on things, but whatever, you know. Right. Um, so there's a there's a you know I, I'm suddenly defensive about like oh no you don't need practical clothes and I I don't know maybe maybe we all need practical clothes you but maybe sometimes need practical socks yeah. and I would recommend more than one pair of underwear yeah probably cotton well that's for, yeah like, keeping your your genitals fresh yeah but other than that man, <laughs> you can figure it out I mean. But also, like, clothes are not exactly in short supply. Right. Either. Like, there's a lot of trash fashion that we can pad up to make something acceptable. Yeah. Uh, Well, in a lot of disaster areas, like, people, like, gather clothes to bring there, and all the people there are like, why did you bring us fucking clothes? Yeah. bring us fucking clean water. What are you doing? You know? Well, they're bringing clothes because you can't burn them in in India or China anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, we'll give it to we'll give it to poor people. Yeah, that way we get to feel better and clean out our closet. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's just like I guess that's another that's another threat is just being buried under stuff. <laughs> trash. <laughs> being slowly buried alive under trash. Well, that's the um, like that's the status quo problem, right? Like there's yeah. you know, like if the world doesn't end and it keeps going the way it goes, that's also kind of horrible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I guess actually another threat model that I think a lot about um, is disease. Mm-hmm. Um, disease is definitely a big concern. We, I live in a city where everyone is on top of each other. Mm-hmm. So like a disease can spread incredibly quickly. Um, I remember there was a person who went to Berkeley Bowl who had the measles or something, and mm-hmm. they just like quarantined Berkeley Bowl. <laughs> like, and I was like, I'm not leaving the house for two weeks, just yeah. in case. Who knows? <laughs> um, you know, and that's even with having a vaccine. It's just like, you know, knowing that 
when electricity fails, a lot of things like vaccines are going to become a lot more difficult, if not impossible. To acquire or whatever, and then, yeah. And then think, yeah, to, to acquire, to keep them um, uh, cold, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, to refrigerate medications, like that's not going to be possible. So like figuring out that is also something I try yeah. to be somewhat aware of. Um, having alternatives to medication, having alternatives to um, street drugs. Mm-hmm. Also, um, you know, so like knowing about knowing how to use Narcan, uh, knowing a little bit about, about Krat. What was it? I don't even know how you pronounce it. I've only seen it read Kratom. Uh, Kratom. Kratom, I think. Yeah. So, the, you know, like that has been used by a bunch of my friends when they've been withdrawing from oh, opiates okay so like the having stuff that could work as an alternative i i've always packed some pot in my um medic bag even mm-hmm. even though i don't smoke pot because it's so useful for so many different things um that, that it's sense. worth just having it in there yeah uh and um you know that's that's something that uh could be a real problem a bunch of people withdrawing at once mm-hmm is a huge problem. A bunch of people getting sick at once is a huge problem. Yeah. Um, so having alternatives for that stuff is, is something that I'm looking a lot more into. Yeah. That's interesting. And I hadn't thought about that. The specifically people trying right wing people don't think about that. Mm-hmm. I've noticed this, like they're, they're afraid of oh, what's the, Sorry, I forget like the actual terminology. Again, ADHD brain, and mm-hmm. I, I tend to call things like I call bars alcohol restaurants. That's just <laughs> how my brain works. Um, but there's some doomsday thing that a lot of people are hype on. Coronavirus. About no, no, no. Oh, okay. I wish it was that. That would make more sense. But no, <laughs> um, they're just they're just being racist and and frantic about that while mm-hmm. not thinking about the flu, which kills a lot more people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> no, it's the it's like a solar flare is going to knock out all of our electricity. Oh, because it's, it'll EMP yeah. us or whatever. That's the one. Yes. Interesting. And just, there's so many of them who are so focused on that, but then they don't think about disease yeah. at all. And yeah. that just blows my mind because disease is way more likely. Yeah, people like, are bad within at our threat lifetimes, modeling. We've seen multiple plagues. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just really surprising. <laughs> I think some of it's like about, I mean, most of it's the people are bad at threat modeling, but I think some of it is like people enjoy certain types of threats, like preparing for certain types of threats more than others. And also oh, yeah. probably enjoy preparing like for something that makes them feel like they have more agency and le- instead of less agency. You know, if you're someone who like all of your skills are about non-electric things, you know, you could be really excited about the power grid going down. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. But I mean, I, that is, that is another area to think about when it comes to like ableism, for example, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of diabetics aren't going to be able to get access to their medication. So figuring out like, you know, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah. And I don't, even, I don't know that I have answers to that. I don't know that anybody does. But it's certainly something that I would want to know more about. I think that's why we have to like not. I mean, it's 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 why the end of the world is bad, you know. 
Like, like disaster yeah. is actually a really bad thing. Like people clearly get kind of hooked on it, right? Because they suddenly have agency in their lives and they like, you know, and, and, um, everything I've ever read or talked to people about is like suicide goes down, like psychotic breaks go down, things like that during crisis. Um, and it's, but it's still at the end of the day, like something that if we can avert it, we, we should. And, and that's actually why, I mean, as much as climate change is going to affect things, there are going to be disasters. There's going to be interruptions in our society. Uh, if there's ways we can find to make sure that that doesn't, kill so many people or you know ruin so many lives even if it ruins economic systems maybe you know and of course as an anarchist i say this like maybe the solution is to ruin the existing economic system um although i (laughs) ideally by transferring it over to a system that you know like so that we still have access to the the things we need in the in the meantime um which is actually it gets a the i'm almost done with this rant the the whole like there's a Derudi quote where, you know, during the Spanish Civil War, uh, you know, someone asks him like, well, what about all the destruction of this revolution? And he's like, well, you know, we're workers. We're not afraid of ruins. Why would we be afraid of ruins? We're the ones who built this city. We can build it again. And I think about like often people are like, well, and this is a tangent because now I'm talking about anarchist society. People are like, in, in, in an anarchist society, how would you have antibiotics? And be like, well, I don't know. How do we fucking have them now? Like, right. we'll do that. Like, or maybe a different way. I don't know. Like, um, and, <laughs> no, and I- <laughs> there's still people in the apocalypse, right? There's still right, a ton right. of people in disaster and we all know how to do stuff. And so even if like the electrical grid dies, that doesn't mean there's no power. Like, it doesn't mean there's no hospital even, you know, like there's, there, <laughs> like we can fix these things and do these things. And some of those are yeah. already prepared for that. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I think like, I guess I would say that while it's good to be prepared, I also think it's important not to psych yourself out. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's important to not, not get too excited about it Mm -hmm. uh, because (laughs) the fact is a lot of people, a lot of black and brown people, especially Mm -hmm. disabled people, especially will die. Yeah in any kind of disaster um that you would want to prep for like that's just that's how we structured our society and that is going to happen so like i think that that is something to be aware of before getting too thrilled about like the end of the world right yeah so that you're kind of saying some really fucked up stuff at the same time yeah um and uh, I mean, I, you know, frankly, I don't know that I would survive a disaster like that. Yeah. But I do know that I don't think I could do it by myself. I do think mm-hmm. I could do it with community. And I think that that's why I'm so focused on community mm-hmm. um, and mutual aid. Um, you know, I, I read uh, Paradise Built in Hell um, and it's this really interesting book that looks at different disasters and, and kind of has that, like, isn't it interesting how a disaster happens and people come together and help each other, even when everything has gone to shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And how (laughs) I, I, I think this was kind of the intention of the, the author of the book, but she does seem to point out a lot 
isn't it also interesting how often the government steps in and tells them to stop doing that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that is not okay. And we'll actually murder people to prevent them from helping each other. Yeah. Um, And I think that like, that's something I I consider uh, as sort of the secondary threat model is the government trying to prevent people from actually doing okay without them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's like an ultimate abusive relationship. Yeah. Um, and like figuring out how to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, when you're being funneled into resources that are not ready to handle them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> well, this is a, this is a really good, uh, you know, yeah, this is, this is going to be the first episode. And, uh, so I, I think we've covered a lot of help. Thanks for helping me kind of like almost like set up what this, this show will hopefully drill down more about. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for, I don't know, I'm talking to me about all this stuff today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could kind of work out sort of like, here's all of the issues. Yeah. <laughs> or, here's like a selection <laughs> of all of the issues, but wait, there's more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Seeing this series. Um, it should be pretty cool. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the first ever episode of Live Like the World is Dying. If you enjoyed the podcast, um, please tell your friends. Uh, tell iTunes, tell Apple Podcasts, tell whatever platform you um, get your podcasts on that you like the podcast by subscribing, by reviewing it, by rating it, and all of those things. Uh, it actually makes a huge difference, and I think it will especially make a huge difference uh, for the first couple episodes of a podcast. So so please consider doing that. If you'd like to see this podcast continue, um, you can support me on Patreon. I uh, I make most of my living through my Patreon, which allows me to spend my time creating content. And I'm wildly, wildly grateful that that's something that I get to do with my life. In particular, I would like to thank Chris and Nora and Haas the dog, Willow, Kirk, Natalie, and Sam. Y'all really make this possible, and I can't thank you enough. All right, thanks so much, and uh, join us next time.